very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com, subscribe, get your login, and get the truth hundreds of hours since 2008. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, or have a guest suggestion, either way, I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website. And before we begin with tonight's interview, I wanted to give you a better perspective about Luke Bedwell, tonight's guest. After we conducted our interview, he wrote a very candid letter, and I would like to share some excerpts for your consideration. He said, quote, Before I began writing, I lost my social circle. I was forced to leave my family's home at 18. Everything that made me somebody was suddenly removed, so I had to become somebody else to survive the trauma sustained. My family and personal life and the pain associated with these elements of life have driven me to write because I did not want anyone else to have to live in a way that I did and still do, which has been based on great personal suffering. But that suffering can be worth the cost. If I can aid others to prevent their suffering in the form of these books I have slaved over and the information contained. I wrote these books because I did not have anything else that would provide me with a sense of personal value. But this work has provided me with that feeling of value and your interview opportunity has given me more personal value than I have ever felt before. And I'm so appreciative to you for giving me a feeling like my life is my own, and I have something to offer this world we all share. I hope this can provide you with some more insight than I provided you at the time of the interview. And as always, I wish the very best in your life and thank you for touching mine. With respect and admiration, Luke. Unquote. So there you have it. I wanted to include this at the beginning and not at the end, so you can listen with a better perspective. Sometimes I like to give an opportunity, a platform, to those who have never had one before. Why not listen to them? Why not offer some compassion? I'm not here for the ratings, and I'm sure you wouldn't oppose to hear from someone you've never heard of before. So I hope you enjoyed this interview. And don't forget to give us your feedback. Enjoy. In a world of infinite ideas, 
There appears to be much chaos thriving within this world. We live within a world that is dominated by war. But are we truly at war with ourselves as a species? If we are at war with ourselves as a species, but live within a world of infinite ideas, whose ideas are we supporting? Have these ideas outlived their usefulness? If they have, are we not worth the effort as a species to desire an existence grander than this one based upon war? Should we not have a world of peace and harmony, opposed to one of chaos, alienation, and prejudice? If we do desire a world that abhors prejudice and war, what are we going to do to ensure we will create this world for ourselves and our progenitors? If we desire this harmonic utopia, we first require a thorough comparison of the ideas we are utilizing and ideas we can still utilize to propel us to this world. Today's special guest wishes to offer guidance so we can find that promised land. His name is Luke James Bedwell, a full-time scholar and researcher of natural law, occult science, comparative religious studies, and is a being living a human experience. His life's purpose is to expel this planetary body of as much prejudicial belief systems as possible on behalf of the source of life, so the species and planetary body can be free to thrive in a harmonic state. And directly from Melbourne, Australia, I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Luke Bitwell. Hello, Luke, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hello, Mel. I am brilliant. How are you, sir? Great. Thank you. And Luke, for those people who may not know who you are, and first, let, let me just tell the audience that I love it when our listeners interact with me and even prospective guests. They write to us saying, I would like to be on your show, and this is why. They send a compelling reason. Then I go to their websites. I speak with them. They send me their books. And sometimes I, I grab people from that list, and today's one of them. I remember Crystal Clark many years ago. The very first radio show she did was with us. She sent a book in. The rest is history. So I hope that the same thing can happen with Luke Bitwell. But Luke, since you're new to me and to most of the people listening to us, how did you get to all of this? I read uh, some of your bio, but tell us more of who Luke Bitwell is. Well, I would consider myself and my occupation to be a human restorationist. And my goal in life is to remove as much prejudice from this planet and from the information streams available as possible. But I, I began uh, seeing a lot of problems in the world. This is probably 2009. And I thought, well, there are all these problems. Surely, surely there's a means of solving them. Then I came to the conclusion that I had no idea where to begin. So that process took me another couple of years for me to find the right people, the right teachers, and uh, learn what, what the information they were disseminating and understand it to potentially myself um, disseminating information, not just based on those people's information, but the information that I've also found and maybe I could give a, a different perspective on that information and uh, wider information and why these problems have occurred and what we can do to solve them. Because with every problem, there is a solution. But depending on our education, it might not seem obvious. And some of the people that were influential to you when you started? Uh, I'd say the health range of Mike Adams uh, from naturalnews.com. He was the first Certainly. person that I was introduced to. And from him, I found Jesse Ventura, from Jesse Ventura to Alex Jones, Alex Jones to David Icke, Jordan Maxwell, Michael Tesserion, uh, Manly Hall, 
uh, Chris Everard in the United Kingdom, uh, Jeff Rents, uh, Jay Widener, Socrates, uh, Tex Mars, and, uh, and I would say yourself, Mel, as far as how you conduct yourself in interviews with uh, your neutral uh, means of presenting information to the people. I've learned that. Well, thank you very much. Well, let's begin, because we have a lot of information. I have a feeling, Luke, because uh, you have three books, correct? What are the titles of bo- the books, first of all? Uh, the, the first one is The Structure for Societal Sanity, an expose of a psychic dictatorship. Uh, the second is a parenting manual, uh, The Meltdown of the Nuclear Family, a guide for responsible parenting. And the third is Gods and Humans, What is the Difference, a Code of Ethics for a Medieval World. I have a feeling that we're going to be scratching the surface today because every chapter carries so much information. So if we cannot finish it all, maybe depending on the audience reaction, we may have to bring you back. I just want to say that from the beginning. What is the structure for societal sanity? I would say, given uh, the information I've been exposed to and my interpretation, is that It is the public institutions of education, media, banking, uh, psychology, and uh, the programs that are regurgitated by them, the the war on drugs, the war on terror, the war on carbon dioxide, the war on uh, firearms and self-defense, that these programs are an anti-human doctrine that is being promoted by a series of filters uh, that the elite who finance all of these institutions uh, protect themselves and conceal themselves with. So the people who end up supporting and uh, regarding that information uh, can no longer recognize what it truly is to be human uh, via information, via ideology, and will eventually serve the, the people that enslave them without recognizing they were enslaved by uh, a lack of being able to compare available information. So it's a, it's a war on our minds, it's a war on the consciousness, and it's a war on the subconscious, which is, I view as the ultimate enemy of the structure for societal sanity. Pieces and filters who operate on behalf of the, the ruling class, but submerge themselves behind those institutions so no one recognizes that they are in fact mouthpieces for those institutions so there's a it's like the hydra submerged in the water you can see its tentacles but you can't see its head and um going from uh, conspiracy theory through to alex jones uh info wars and now to yourself uh mel um uh, I, I was lost in the beginning, but um, because I did, I, all I knew was mainstream media, mainstream education, uh, everything mainstream. Uh, and uh, now I've gotten to the point where I, I view all those filters as an alien system. Um, Posing as being human, but because people aren't exposed to alternate information streams other than the ones readily available, then we don't know how to discern between alien doctrines and human doctrines, which has led me to write these books, 
which you, you referenced the, the first one, the structure for societal sanity and expose of a psychic dictatorship, um, is, is being a, a book for anyone who wishes to explore this field of alternate information. You can learn about the, the flaws of the psychiatric system, the banking system, the education system, and the various programs of the structure for societal sanity, which they impart to us, hoping to turn us from human beings into acolytes of the structure for societal sanity via controlled information and by limiting our conscious state by weighing down our subconscious with prejudice. And I enjoyed reading throughout your book, uh, it's well written. And by the way, folks, you know, you may be listening to somebody who might be in the future recognized as somebody who has woken and awoken and then waking more people up. You never know. And this is why I like to give people a chance to come on this program. It happened with Crystal uh, Clark years ago and with with a number of other people. So I'm hoping that some of the information that Luke will be sharing with us today might be meaningful to all of you because of what it seems is that you woke up just like many of us. Many of us were, were me exclusively. Before 9-11, I was totally asleep. And it was until a few, few years after that that event, that very event was the one that woke me up. And it seems that with you, the same thing happens. You go knock on, not, not literally, but you go to the Alex Joneses of the world. You go to, to Jay Whitener and you go to Jesse Ventura and then you start opening doors and those doors open more doors and then you make your own decisions and your own conclusions. But one of the things I like about your book, and we're going to focus on one of them because we don't have time to discuss all of them. There are over 300 pages each, I believe, that you begin each each segment with a question. And I like that because it's it makes people like, okay, what is it that you're trying to say? For example, beginning with something that we find to be part of our culture, that very word, culture. What is the definition of a culture? Well, as far as I can tell, it's a, an agreed upon set of beliefs, which that can be in form of religious beliefs. It could be medical beliefs, any any kind of beliefs that bring a the people together and work together for a common cause, I would determine that to be uh, a culture, but uh, there's a, an environment surrounding it which isn't commonly recognized, and that's how those beliefs impact each member of that culture and if they're open to other ideas or not. Just in synopsis. Do you think that culture is embedded, perhaps epigenetically, into our DNA? It seems there's a, an ancestral memory in, inside of our genetic sequences, which has this yearning for for more. We, it, the self, you might say, that uh, works through us desires us to to constantly test our limits and and to grow and expand and and to build build something new for ourselves and for the the world around us. So I would say. Um, it's an intergenerational um, sp spawning of ancient ideas, but depending on the state of the the conscious beings in the, the universe at that time, there there might be a greater urgency for uh, different 
ideals and beliefs to replace the previous, which I say we would very well be in at the moment. Now, the title of your book is Structure for Societal Sanity. What is the structure for societal sanity? Well, it's the the public institutions, uh, the education system, the banking system, the psychiatric system, systems of government we're aware of, and the different programs like uh, the push for uh, global warming, uh, terrorism, uh, the war on drugs. And you can go through the list, but these are all programs to uh, suppress the subconscious. And it's not an attack on humanity itself, these institutions, because humanity is a reflection of something larger, and that's life itself. And if you can suppress the subconscious, then you can... Pr- prevent the development of every species in the universe uh, by preventing them from accessing uh, more of their genetic sequences or more of their ancestral memories. So then if, you, if you're confronted with an overwhelming problem, uh, ha- how do you begin to solve it if you don't have access to the information which could help you solve it? So that's why I view the subconscious of humanity as the ultimate enemy of the the internationalists or the parasitic life forms posing as as humans in uh, high places of business and, and government. You say something very interesting here regarding the hidden hand. You say if you control the art of the culture, thereby the information the culture has available to it, the population can be developed by a hidden hand without being aware of it. The dominant art of today is represented by popular music, cinematic films, blood sports, school curriculums, and the last being television, which promotes all of these arenas as the greatest accomplishment we can grasp. Are you saying that even art, the art that people put out with their own inspiration, and that inspiration, the source is part of this hidden hand, not really ours? Well, we're connected to everything that is, was, and ever will be. So whether we want to accept it or not, that's up to us as neutral life forms, whether we want to or not. Um, No no matter what we're distributing, there is something more than just us working. I I look at us as being conduits or avatars. Uh, we're, We're here to play God to the best of our abilities and Everything we touch, we leave our imprints upon, and we leave our imprints upon the psychic field, and all of that is connected to everything else. So I would say yes in that case. There's always a hidden hand, just of of what degree and which spectrum of the duality of the, the hidden hand of life itself are we working on behalf of? Are we working on behalf of the forces of ego, which is recognized commonly as Satanism or Saturnism, or are we working on behalf of self that desires teamwork, restoration, unification, reconciliation, which would then create a more pleasant experience for us? When you mention Avatar, of course, a lot of people write to me saying that after watching the movie Avatar, it makes you wonder if we are someone's avatar. But that implies control. That implies that there's something out there controlling us. Now, who directs us? Who directs these 
outlets and and who writes more importantly who writes their scripts i would say ultimately we do i would say that life is what we make of it and we've been given life so then we can determine for ourselves uh what we want to do who we want to meet what we want to learn and part of the the neutrality of life as far as i can tell is life is what you make of it so life uh you can make whatever decisions you want but you bear the weight of those decisions so you should choose carefully but in saying avatar i'm not talking about us um everything that we do and everything that we think is being um controlled by something else we ultimately have control of what we do but depending on the information we have access to and depending on what we do with that information then that will determine what reality we make for ourselves but i would say we control our own avatars but because of the structure for societal sanity limiting uh, our imagination and by limiting our movements as much as it can uh, then it would seem like from many uh, the perce- uh, the perspective of many that we are not in control of ourselves do you think that this is a trap in other words we call it entertainment i call it entrainment we have uh, bread and circus sports and and the entertainment music industry the tv do you think these are all traps to corrupt members of of society or of this culture yes but that's a two way street depending on the information we have access to uh then we can if we're aware of the intended trap then we can use it um for its opposite intention we can we can we can because all these vehicles use symbolism um so in that in the same vehicle that would attempt to rob us of our life source and of our potential that can also uh, teach us of the the inner workings of not just the hidden hand but the universe itself and who we are so with every with every trap or with every um vehicle for empowerment it can be used um multi-purposely so it's not all um doom and gloom or negativity it just depends on the user and the following statement sounds what can i say it's almost predicting the future but this future seems to be here already you say quote the people will no longer be consumed with being individualistic so whatever hopes the civilization had for evolution will be replaced with contentment the population will then regress into a state of total dependency on the engineers to direct the course of their lives unquote. that seems to be the plan that is currently taking place Luke. yeah because if he can uh, override the human brain with the reptile brain then what what need is there for evolution or for or for growth or spiritual rehabilitation if you have everything you want whenever you want and there are seemingly uh, no consequences uh for living a lifestyle uh, of ex- extended materialism or or um pleasure without end well then we have this 
fight against individualism. It's almost like if you really think for yourself these days, you are considered uh, unorthodox. At least that's a kind word, but weird also. Do you consider to be one of those? Because I think that happens to me, happens to a lot of our listeners. We think outside of the proverbial box, but then again, that we are publicly ridiculed by the dominant form of art, the, the, the culture makers, the cultural editors, and then new generations fall into that trap, which doesn't allow them to step outside that box and think for themselves. I would happily ascribe myself as being weird or unorthodox <laughs> or backwardsly creative, happily. And uh, I, I feel that, that that's if any of us are viewed as being weird or unorthodox or um, quirky, uh, then that should be a notch in our belt because if everyone else is doing something different and someone looks at us and says, what a weird person. Did Stevie Wonder design their, their fashion sense? And I'm thinking, well, I'm doing something right. I'm standing out. I'm making a difference. Just, I'm not even talking yet. And so if, every, if everyone else is uh, attuned to this routine or, or customized living and I'm doing something different that's shocking them, then I prescribe as being weird to always be weird and will never stop being weird because I'm damn proud of it. Well, if you're not different, if you're not an individual, if you're not sovereign, if you don't think for yourself, then aren't we just falling into the trap that condemns us and our culture to stagnation and, and death? Because there's because we're a robotized people. Yeah. And robotized people, uh, them as living beings or mobile data platforms, um, are only aware of, well, there's this way. And that's the only way. And if you can get someone locked in like that, then they're probably going to stay locked in unless there's some kind of a traumatic experience that comes around from somewhere uh, that forces them to self-reflect and to observe the state of the world that they're in at the moment and what that world could be in the future if they either act or do not act. But if they get that far, uh, that's, that depends on them. Who do you think has this long-range planning and implementation of, of this plan. Who's in charge of this? And what kind of technology? Is this a scientific, quote-unquote, scientific elite? I would say, ultimately, uh, that it's an ideological elite that uses science to pervert uh, the natural flow of of life and evolution, so yes and no to that. But um, as we can tell from institutions like the Rockefeller Foundation, um, then they use science as a means of overriding the greatest uh, hardware that science has ever produced, and that is life, whether it be human life or extraterrestrial life. Um, their goal is to override a form of life and create one that's more uh, compatible with their, with whatever requirements they have of it because they can't manage themselves by the looks of them. I mean, they all look like they got off the set of the Lord of the Rings posing as orcs. So if any people look like that and 
you compare them to what average humans look like who are typically beautiful and well-spoken like the elves just to continue with the lord of the rings analogy uh then you would want to stunt that form of life to reflect yourself if you are a stunted form of life, which the internationalists seem to be. But as far as the superiors, I could only speculate on that. Um, uh, time will tell. Some people have spoken of uh, the, the Dracos and other extraterrestrial uh, life forms, hence the uh, dragon architecture and uh, dragon symbology we see all over the world and whether that's a, a Saturnian form of life, I don't know, but um, what, I, what I am aware of and what many are also aware of, um, uh, the royalty and the aristocrats of this world, so if you want to start somewhere, uh, start there and, and work your way down because anything else um, would just be speculation. But we shouldn't close our mind to the possibility, and time will tell whether these so-called Dracos are, are real in existence and actually directing from an intergalactic web. We'll see. You know, I'm coming to the point where I have to find out for myself. I have to really touch. I have to really experience something before I can say, okay, I know that. So whenever I hear people, and I have all sorts of people coming to this program discussing Dracos and all sorts of aliens, you know that, I'm open-minded to it. Do I believe it? Of course not. I haven't seen them. I haven't studied them. I am still open-minded. I am not going to criticize anybody that comes here and talks about them. But I think it's more important to discuss what we here as, as, as the species, what we can do to remove these shackles, because I think, in my opinion, what they're trying to do is basically maintain control of our opinions. You and I have an opinion, but most people, if you go out on the street, I bet you it's the same in Melbourne, Sydney, in the United States, and even in Europe. If you go out there and speak with somebody the day after you watch the news, you will see that they start parroting and repeating what they heard in the mainstream media. Whether it's left or right, it doesn't matter, but it's the same. Do you think most people will be pawns of competing opinion molders, which is basically they're molding our culture and our opinions every night at the six o'clock news or with movies or music. That's what Edward Bernays said in his book, Propaganda. That's right. Uh, we, we, uh, I'm paraphrasing, we are manipulated. Our minds are molded. Our tastes are formed. Our ideas are suggested largely by men we've never heard of. This is the invisible realms that constitute a democratic society. Uh, so in, in that case, um, and the, the people who watch the news, who who listen to mainstream radio or any of these things, they don't recognize because they've never been taught or if they wanted to learn, they were deprived of that and they were punished for their, their ingenuity and for their observations that they are, they don't know which side they're, they're supporting. They think, well, these journalists on on uh, CNN or um, any of these other uh, neuroengineering without sanity <clears throat> news platforms, they don't know that the more they watch, the less human they become because they're accepting a point of view, and that's all these vehicles are. They're just they're a, a point of view, and they are um, a sales pitch. 
but they don't. These people don't know who the sales pitch is coming from. They don't know where the funding's coming from for all of these things to exist. They don't really know what they're supporting. So in in that case, uh, they're the greatest pawns imaginable because they won't question where the information's coming from, who's writing the scripts, who's paying for it, and they wouldn't. They they fail to recognise the the in the people interwoven throughout all these different institutions, whether it be uh, government or media or any of these things, they won't recognize the common links that connect all these people together. So if they miss that, then they won't recognize the same ideological beliefs that those people all share with each other and then uh, present to the people their controlled, um, controlled circumstance. But would you agree that our history is written by the winners. I mean, let me give you an example. I remember when I was living in Mexico City in the early 90s, I, I found under the cathedral some Mayan temples. And they had this era completely blocked. And I came in and I said, I spoke to some of the people who were there. What is this? Oh, you know, this is a Mayan temple. The cathedral was, was built over it. And this is at the time when I had no idea that they were doing this throughout the Americas. They were placing all these churches so that history could be rewritten and people wouldn't question what was there before. And right now, all we have is there's a church, there's a cathedral, there's a this or that, but we're not told what's under it. In other words, that part of the history is gone unless you or I, Luke, we go out there and start scratching and find out for ourselves. So the point is, if belief... When you go to school, you go to school, university, everything you're taught is pretty much a belief, an opinion of a of of an expert, somebody with a title. You know, they are accepted and, and but the knowledge and the facts that you and I find as we go through life, for example, we find people who cure cancer. But we can't even say that because it gets us into trouble. But those are facts. I have seen people being cured of cancer by natural cures. But the establishment, the opinion editors, if you will, say that's impossible. And anybody who says so should go to jail or worse. So how can we objectively have any hope of finding truth and, and understanding its value if the facts are being hidden from us and replaced with opinion? Well, the first place you start in that regard is to do what's unpopular. and. As far as information, um, if someone says, oh, 9-11 wasn't an inside job, therefore that's unpopular, then, all right, I'm on, I'm on the right track, and you start from there, and you go further down the line to, um, to how the banking system operates by it being a parasitical force uh, directed against the people, um, you begin to recognize over time that belief is a halfway point between knowing and not knowing. But the more unpopular things you look at, the more knowledge you begin to form and the less you require beliefs because the more beliefs we have, the more trapped we are because we don't really know what we're supporting. We just, it sounds good to us. We've formed our opinions on assumption. But assumption without knowledge is dangerous because we could be shooting ourselves in the head metaphorically uh, with the ideas that we have and 
that creates a prejudiced, uh, bigoted person which uh, stumbles through life constantly uh, entering into the bickering contest with other people rather than just, well, that's what's popularly regarded as fact or regurgitated opinion. But rather than entering these bickering contests of belief, can we actually solve this without bickering? But then that's where knowledge would come in. Where do we go from here? But you see, if you question the, the established authority, the dogma, whether science or religion, they're both very dogmatic in my opinion. If you question them, they're going to tell you, well, you have to replicate the process, observe it, and, and, and do it more than once. And then you go to religion and you start questioning some of their assumptions. And again, they say it's in the book and that's all you need to care about. So on this basis, how can we ever hope to find the truth when we do not even possess the foundation required to determine that truth, which is nothing but detailed information. And this is what I try to do, what I try to do every week when I bring people like you to open new doors, to give people new perspectives so they can step outside of their comfort zone. I know people who write to us all the time, you know, one person very dear to our hearts here. I'm not going to mention names, but we made a an interview the other day regarding Lucifer. And I'm not a Satanist, but I wouldn't mind discussing the, you know, the information that comes. Or we had a, a, an interview about the uh, murders committed by the church. You know, children disappeared in Canada. And some of these people write to me saying, you know what, I don't know if I can listen to that because I've been programmed so much by my own religion that I don't know that I can shake it. So they're admitting that they're afraid to open that Pandora's box, not knowing how they'll react. You know, cognitive dissonance ensues, and they just cannot even open the door. That's how hard, how ingrained that programming is, Luke. Yeah, and I, I want to say that for people like that, I'm, I can easily understand their plight. And the more we can understand each other, the less uh, hatred we have for each other, and that prevents violence from from developing. So as far as those people are concerned, um, well, that comes down to, to a limited information field. So it also comes down to, um, with uncertainty about information or about the world you live in, that creates anxiety. And then that, that creates a, a stream where violence can begin to grow and thrive, which we have now. But, uh, a way we can prevent this is by understanding each other. Like we don't have to agree with this person over here or this person over here. We don't have to oppose them, but if we can understand them, that thing makes things much smoother for us. And once we accept, Hey, we don't have to fight with this person. If they disagree with us, then we can begin to think of, okay, if we're not giving our energy to fighting, can we give our energy to unification working with these different groups to bring them together for a common cause which is ultimately to uh, remove this uh, prejudice system of thought from the planetary body we're all living on at the moment so understanding um, leads us to problem solving and to living together as we're meant to be and by the way, folks, whenever I talk about religion, I don't mean to criticize anybody who is spiritual because I am spiritual. I just don't need a, a toll booth on the path 
on my path to enlightenment. Let me just make sure that everybody understands that. Now, this confirms to me, Luke, that we are living in a planned society. When we think of civilization, and in the, in the past, you have somebody living in a cave, the woman stays, the husband, well, the, the male goes out there and hunts and brings back, you know, when the civilization came along, you had agriculture, people didn't have to go hunt all the time. They had their food right there, but at the same time, the controlled plant structure appeared. And then the population could be anesthetized by giving them, again, bread and circus, recreational-based activities. And some people criticize me when I talk about marijuana. You know, I don't even know I like to use the word marijuana cannabis. And by the way, for the record, folks, I'm not a smoker. But I see the benefits when it comes to medicine. And I see how alcohol is out there, at least here in the United States, it's legal. But it causes more health problems and deaths than pretty much anything else. And we allow it. But we have cannabis, and it's illegal. It does not cause addiction. It uh, does not cause any accidents. And it's a great spiritual tool that opens your mind. So why, why, is, why are we living in a bizarro world where one thing is good and the other one is bad? It comes down to interpretation. Ultimately, each person determines for themselves what they accept and how they, how they act in this world. So um, if, if a group of people don't want to use cannabis, then fine, I won't oppose them, even though I, I encourage it. I don't use it personally, but I encourage others to live how they wish to. Um, but every everything comes down to education and, and awareness, and I'd say that's how we, we bridge the gap by presenting more information and ideally doing it on a, on a neutral basis. But you see, we have these, again, bread and circus, opiates, alcohol, television, sports, fashion, mainstream media, cinema, synthetic drugs, and gambling. Again, it, it's more driven, would you say, by a, an atheistic philosophy? Yeah, because if you're taught life doesn't matter and has no meaning, then our individual lives on that basis will also have no purpose and no meaning. So what's there to do but to drown ourselves with all of these opiates available and disconnect us more so from the subconscious and everything that is, was, and ever will be? And then we would just drown in the bread and circuses and uh, the land of milk and honey, and as those... Um, those studies on, on rat population show that if you give the rats everything they want, eventually they're, just, they're going to cannibalize themselves and the population will die off. And I'm seeing that uh, in, a gr- in a great quantity at the moment, uh, but it's ideological cannibalism and it's feeding on itself. You see it all the time. We, we go here to national parks in the United States and you have these big signs that say, do not feed the animals. And people wonder why, because they won't know how to feed themselves. And we're doing that to the population. We're just feeding them all the time. A lot of people don't want to work, and I'm not blaming everybody who truly has a reason, a truly, a bona fide reason not to work, because you're, you're, you cannot physically, mentally. But there are many people who are able, but not willing to work. Those people, when you provide 
these free benefits all the time, then if we continue with this trend, and I saw a number the other day of the number of people who are on the dole, and I just cannot understand that this society can continue on this path without imploding. And it has to, the way it is. And um, given that, this is an, what we're fa- everything we can, we're facing at the moment is an example of this species, if it wants to, is slowly healing itself. But to do that, you have to you have to raise the the cancers to the surface. In this case, ideological cancers. You have to um, the, the the economic system has to become uh, desperate and unfeasible and on the brink of collapse. There has to be um, mass epidemics of uh, contagious disease that are that are spreading across the planet. There has to be um, mass shootings, all these things, because as terrible as they are, it, it, it brings to the surface uh, everything that's wrong with the world as it is. So the more of it that occurs, the, the less room for denial there is. And uh, where there's no longer n- denial, it's just in, in our faces. So uh, with in these troubled times, then this is the perfect time for us to create something new to override the system. But we can't do that if we don't know what's wrong with it to begin with. You know, when most people talk about pursuing enlightenment, a lot of people are criticized as new agey or too religious by, by others who are always seeking the material realm, a materialistic world, uh, you know, Instead of knowledge, they want materialistic knowledge and possessions. But because we're not filling that void, which is what we really need, then people become drug addicts, uh, addicted to emptiness, a byproduct of what living without spiritual pursuits. What's your take on this? Uh, I, w- I would say that that's what I was talking about earlier, uh, molding the reptile brain to override the human brain. So then... Uh, reptile brain users will enjoy their enslavement as long as they still receive all the worldly possessions which cater to that empty void that exists within them. But if they were to begin to cater to it, uh, to that spiritual need for connection to the world around them and to all life around them, then that creates a lot of anxiety for them because with all the, they've worked so hard to keep all these doors closed, say for 30 or 50 or more years, how would they be able to cope without collapsing into um, emotional imbalances such as uh, depression or uh, any any other emotional imbalances? How, so they have to keep those doors closed, but you can only do it for so long until the roof caves on you and you've got nowhere to go. And I want people to understand that when we discuss these subjects, we don't want people to feel hopeless because I want you I want you to know, folks, you who are listening to us, not the general audience, but you, specifically you who's listening to us tonight, there is hope. You matter. You matter to me. You are loved and you are important. I don't want you to ever feel when you watch the, the news or TV or what have you or your friends or society telling you that you are not worth it. You are worth it. But we have to analyze this so we can deconstruct it. Because I think, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this culture promotes being empty as being trendy. 
by being addicted to emptiness, uh, we become dependent on that emptiness. And so that's why people are always, they want more and more and more. And we actually need that to attempt to remedy that emptiness, at least temporarily. But guess what? The next week comes along, you're getting ready for your paycheck and you feel empty again. And you go to the store and you buy your stuff or you eat too much. Is this part of the plan? Of course, because if the, the culture promotes empty, dysfunctional people as being the ideal, then you the lemmings will fall behind those dysfunctional people. As we can see in the entertainment world, most people in that realm are completely empty and devoid of of anything re- relating to uh, spirituality or, or at least uh, self-empowering spirituality and if you can set that as the icon then uh, the rest of the population will follow and they'll never know just how dysfunctional they are because they they're unable to compare information and to discern uh, between uh, self-empowerment and self-destruction i also want to add to what you were talking about as far as uh, uh, not being hopeless people you have so much power you don't even know it just the ability to be able to go out and have a conversation with someone you can alter someone's life on a minute by minute basis we we have so much power we don't know what to do with it and all of these institutions that tell us we have no power is an obvious inversion and it's just a desperation ploy to remove us from our inner strength and our inner drive so surely if we can impact each other on a minute-by-minute basis and make comments that can change someone's life forever, that shows we have almost unlimited power, so we're never without hope. And I'd say for most of this audience, if not the whole audience uh, listening, that just because you are listening, you have the opportunity to be able to be a catalyst to create an intellectual revolution or a spiritual revolution for this species because you're viewing these problems which are so difficult and so burdensome for most people to look at and how would they even begin to understand it but you do so you have an advantage you have an edge that they don't have you've been in this for so long that you you can be leaders in your own communities and if you if you do that enough and uh, have the talent and the skill and the drive, you could, you could be world leaders. We're all capable of this. So we're never without hope. It's just a matter of tapping into that power that we have at our fingertips and using it and knowing how to use it. And I would say this whole, most of this audience knows how to do that. I just see that all these institutions, they seem to be separate, but in my opinion, they're completely, completely linked with their own their own line of business, if you will, linked to the next one. Banking, education, mainstream media, psychology, psychiatry, healthcare, Hollywood, all of it. They serve each other. They have a purpose, and the purpose is one, to basically rear us from the beginning of our lives till the end, to keep that control. How many people are addicted to lending, to, to, to borrowing money all the time. And once they don't realize that it's a noose around their necks and they have to get out of that in order to be somewhat free. Same thing with education. How many people go and finish their doctorate degree? And I'm not accusing anybody because I know plenty of our listeners are well-educated. 
but they know. They know now, and they write to me, and they tell me, you know what, I spent so many decades of my life studying medical school or, or any other trade. And then guess what? They realize that it's a toolbox they've been given in any of those trades. The mainstream media, they tell us what to, how to think, what to think, how to act. Psychology. If you go to a psychologist, because everybody's telling you, you know, look, I think you're crazy because you're weird. Mel, you're talking about UFOs and aliens. You must need some medication. And then you go there and they perpetuate that cycle. But it takes people to snap out of that and realize that it's a matrix. It's truly, when I used to think of the matrix, I thought, oh, science fiction is just a movie. But after a while, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, it's 2020 when you look behind and you realize that you are actually the one with the choice to unplug yourself now. You don't have to wait for anybody to tell you otherwise. And would anyone else really be capable of telling us how we could or should live our life to the our greatest potential? I would, I would say no, only we know that. And if we're looking for the approval of a hopelessly corrupt system, then if we want to get the approval of that system, then we'd become corrupt too. So we don't need anyone else's approval. We don't need orders from headquarters. We should just do what we feel is right to us. And and the more we wish to use those instincts uh, to empower the people around us and ourselves is a remedy for wanting the approval of a, a corrupt, a decadent system. But it's very difficult too, Luke. It's very easy for me to say. It's easier said than done. I, I can tell you this from my own experience sitting on this chair. I wouldn't be able to talk about all these subjects if I was subjugated to a corporate job, for example. Because in today's day and age, anybody could listen to what I'm saying and the next day I would have a pink slip on my desk and I would not be allowed that's just the way it is. So it's easier for me to say it, but at least people who are listening to us can can use that information to their advantage because these days to survive, we have to subordinate our mind to whatever the commanders of, as you call it, the structure for societal sanity want from us. That's what they tell us. That. That's how we must think, but it's the opposite what we need to do, don't we? Yes, because the, the opposite path is is uh, the road easy to freedom that uh, freedom doesn't come easily and it's not supposed to. It's supposed to be a chore. It's supposed to be a grind. But the higher the mountain, the tougher the obstacle, the sweeter the victory. Uh, and it's easy for me to say all of these things too, especially uh, I've been doing this research for, for seven years full-time every day of the week. And I almost forget that at one point that I didn't know much as far as um, false flags or, or spiritual enlightenment or the dualities of life or the interwoven meanings of, of life. I didn't know anything about that. Um, but as long as those of us who are awake to this information, who are looking at it, if we can remember where we came from, that should make it easier for us to bridge the gap between people who aren't aware and people who are aware because we've been in the shoes of of, of both of those identities. And I was a, a materialist. I was I was very I was an atheist. I was very much of this uh, drive for worldly possessions. I was I was 
ingrained into that like most others were. Um, but there's only so much that I could take before. You know what? I, I want to know. I'm sick of opinion. I won't. Ta- I don't need anyone else's approval. It doesn't mean I'll be uh, unfriendly towards people. Uh, but the moment I stop living for others and start thinking for myself is the time I'll start living for myself and um, dare to be different. There's a couple of things that I have here. Some of them I agree with you, some I do not, but I'd like to dissect this for a moment. You say most of the public, specifically the middle class, possess no peripheral awareness, not solely because of sports, television, or even the Pavlovian conditioning. It is largely because they have never really been tested in their lives. They have never had to struggle and find a way out. The more one has to struggle, the more adaptive, resilient, flexible, and stronger they become. I agree with that part. I don't agree with the part that everybody in that class uh, basically doesn't have peripheral vision. Because in order to get to that class, unless you were given what you have, you had to face adversity. And I agree with you that adversity makes men. I don't agree, however, that well, the prosperity makes lazy jellyfish. I don't know exactly in what context you're using that. I just disagree with that part. I think that if you are facing adversity and you want to prosper, you must fight those demons. You must become independent, bring your own ideas, put them into action. I don't see any problem with with that kind of prosperity. Are you referring to some other kind of prosperity? Oh, thank you for bringing me up to date of that oversight. Um, I was referencing that as far as the the people who work within the public institutions who feel that there are no problems with the public institutions and who exist within suburbia and their their life is nine to five, drink their cafe lattes, um, who have who have no interest in alternative information only because they're not aware that it exists. So thank you for bringing that oversight to my attention and I will remedy that. Uh, but that's what I was referencing. I was referencing the the drones within the, the institutions who are there strictly to cater to their uh, hunger for power over their, their uh, fellow community members. That's what I was referencing specifically. I figure that's what you really meant. In the echo chambers of the political parties and the mainstream media, which is nothing but a propaganda arm of the government. And the problem is that a lot of these zombified, self-unaware people just repeat what they're saying. And if anybody has a different opinion that doesn't fit that that mold, then we are the ones who suffer the consequences. We become you know, shunned by society, and that's why it's difficult sometimes. And that's why people find this this radio program, and not to toot our own horns, but it's a refuge, folks. If we don't talk about these subjects here, and we cannot talk about them out there, then we must change gears and start being the example you want to see in the world, and just leading by that example. Somebody wrote to me the other day that she was in a at a social gathering talking about alternative health, and most people said there, are you saying that vaccines are bad because you know what? Millions of people have been saved around the world with vaccines. But she started giving examples, slowly giving examples in a calm manner. And then people started listening. And then more and more people came individually to her saying, hey, by the way, I, I want more information about what you were saying. So folks, all you need to do is plant your seeds slowly, slowly. 
That's the best way to do it. If you start going out there like, you know, at, thanks to Alex Jones too for some of the things that he, he has done. But if you go out there with a bullhorn all the time, I don't think you'll be able to wake people up that efficiently or effectively for that matter. And I'm, I'm with you on that. Without uh, that information, I wouldn't have gotten to the information I've received from your program specifically, Mel. Um, it's all part of a, a sequence. The more we more we learn, the more we realize we should learn. Uh, and that's an example of entering into the, the bickering contest with the, the bullhorn. As you were saying about the, the woman who was speaking about alternative health, because she didn't enter the bickering contest, uh, she remembered what was important. That's to provide all alternative information because the topic is being discussed. But what's more important is how the information is disseminated. If People looking for a fight to cater to their prejudices, because once you're prejudiced, uh, you have to cater to that prejudice over and over and over again to confirm the validity of it. Like a, a racist, they have to continually um, create conflict with people of other races, thinking that those people are villains and they're, they're flesh and blood nemesis without realizing, well, I've created these circumstances. The only person who's really creating any kind of destructive environment is me, the hypothetical racist. Uh, so rather than uh, agitating with, with a bullhorn or with, uh, even though that'll, uh, people will hear you, it's the message, uh, the calmer the message is, in terms of a social gathering, especially, uh, the more people want to listen to you because one, you don't seem like you have anything to prove. Two, you're not desperately trying to convert other other people to your uh, philosophy, or at least it doesn't come across that way. It's just neutrally presenting information, which comes across as being non-threatening, non-agitating, and people are more likely to respond to that than to Vaccines are terrible because of the mercury and formaldehyde. That's just uh, catering to the reptile brain, the fear, the the uncertainty, which creates anxiety, which creates conflict. That's an example I use, not in those words. I don't talk about the mercury or the formaldehyde. I simply say, when they say to me, well, remember, we, we cured polio. What would be the United States without the polio vaccine? And I say, look, I understand there may be some merits behind it. All I'm saying is, if I go to my doctor and there's flu season or whatever, I mean, we don't vaccinate here. But if they say these are the vaccines, I would say, fine. Can you guarantee the safety of my child and my family? Can you guarantee it? If the answer is yes, and you can provide to me every single ingredient that's proven to be safe, then maybe, maybe I'll consent to that. But otherwise... You're simply playing Russian roulette. So when these robots, you know, they're zombified, they're self-unaware, they encounter someone who has to, who had to struggle, is aware of geopolitical history, is focused on current events, studies anthropology intensively, and, you know, our past, that's armed with absolute truth. What is the typical reaction of the robots, in your opinion? fanatical hatred 
Because if you if you support an idea and won't consider anything else, then the natural reaction to an opposing belief system is to censor it however you can. So in the case of, um, say, a, a paediatrician wanting to vaccinate a, a newborn and the mother uh, doesn't want that and might state either religious uh, differences or uh, medical differences as to why she doesn't want to do it, then a hypothetical reaction to that could be, you don't, you, oh, you're not with me, so you must be against me. And it just snowballs from there. That's exactly right. Yeah. You can apply this to any kind of conversation, whether it's about genetically modified organisms or uh, the war on drugs, any of these things, um, depending on how open-minded or closed-minded someone is, will determine the reactions afterwards which is why if you limit someone's uh, consciousness and limit their access to available information, then that's a great way to create a, a fanatical life form who will willingly commit genocide against their fellow humans or fellow life forms and think it's the greatest thing that could be done. But you see, the person that you're trying to debate or have a normal conversation, they usually defend if it's science, well, they defend their scientific overlord or their their dogma, fill in the blanks, to the point that sometimes they want <laughs> mortal combat with every person who's attempting to, let's call it what it is. It's, it's the Stockholm Syndrome. If you are being captive by somebody in a bad way, it comes to a point like, um, I, I want to share some examples. What's the name of that? Elizabeth Smart here in the United States. We had a case years ago in Utah where this girl was kidnapped by, by a man and, and the wife, and she was taken for months, and she was just walking the streets with them. She didn't know how to escape because she had this Stockholm Syndrome. This is nothing but mind control. Are we living from cradle to grave in a mind control environment, and the reason why we cannot... When I say we, I don't mean us listening, but most people, they cannot escape that Stockholm syndrome because they are part of that system already. Yeah, all they've had, all they've ever been exposed to, is the sales pitch of the institutions, and they don't know where the uh, the scripts are written from of those institutions. So that's completely understandable, as far as I can tell, that why they would be like that because all they know is is that way and any other way is apparently the enemy's way as they have been told they're perfectly captive you know we have so much more to discuss we are on the top of the hour we spent more than one hour here so we have to separate both segments you have three books we're discussing one of them tonight luke but what are the other three books and how can people buy them the other books one is a parenting manual and the other is my interpretation of the, the grand design of life. And I, I want to I say as a disclaimer that um, anything I have to say is just from my point of view. I, uh, you, don't, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to accept it. Um, just make of it what you want of it because life is what you make of it. It's in your hands. But those can be purchased at www.lulu.com. And those books are 
gods and humans, what is the difference, a code of ethics for a medieval world, and the meltdown of the nuclear family, a guide for responsible parenting. You know, I wonder this because that, I haven't read that book, but I'm, I'm interested because I know that's one of the biggest goals of these cultural editors, is to break the nuclear family, to keep us separate all the time, to create division so we can never unite, and if we have to rise up and take control, they're trying to avoid that from happening. But Luke, do you have a website or just a Lulu one? Uh, just the Lulu one for now. I've got a website that I'm currently building. It's having some technical glitches at the moment, but as soon as it is completed, I will notify you, Mel, and uh, uh, notify as many people as I can of it, but I'm, I'm working on one as we speak. Good. Let me know so we can add it to your page on our website because this show is going to stay there in perpetuity. Folks, don't go anywhere. Much more with Luke Bedwell directly from Melbourne, Australia. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members or subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.